So, Carolyn, because you are an advice columnist, we have brought you here today to talk about a few hypothetical scenarios from a certain family that seems like they need a lot of advice right now. Uh, and just to be clear, these are questions that we on the Post Reports team have written ourselves, but we're imagining that they might be on the minds of the people in this family. So what we're going to do is we're going to read out some of these hypothetical scenarios to you. Are you game to give them some advice? I am game to play for now. We'll Wonderful. see. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been following the drama swirling around the British royal family for some time now. And I know that I am not alone. Lately, there has been so much news to consume about their royal highnesses. From the Netflix series about Harry and Meghan to Harry's new memoir, Spare, which was released this week. In the book, Harry shares some surprisingly intimate and maybe too intimate details about his family and his life. Tripping on shrooms to help deal with trauma, brawls with his brother William, intentional leaks to the tabloids. It's obvious that the royals have been going through it. It's almost like they could use a bit of guidance on how to repair and rebuild. And that is where Post columnist Carolyn Hacks comes in. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Saturday, January 14th. Today, we've got an extra bonus episode for you. An advice professional from The Post gives the splintered royal family a bit of guidance. Okay, so Carolyn, here is the first question. My brother recently released a memoir where he talks inappropriately and extensively about our very personal family matters. And on top of this, he and his wife may or may not have created a Netflix documentary about our life and family. I feel like there's already been so much toxic communication happening between us. What should I do? Should I speak out publicly or should I try to speak with him to see if we can finally stop this awful cycle of public shaming? And Carolyn, before you answer this hypothetical question from this person, I just want to ask, does this story sound at all familiar to you? Yes, it does sound familiar. This is this is <laughs> Prince Harry or former Prince Harry. Is he still Prince? I don't even know. I don't follow it very closely, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually it's William about Harry um, and their their brotherly issues right now, as as you have alluded Harry just came out with this memoir that's like, you know, breaking all records of book sales. And there was this Netflix documentary. So there's a lot of drama going on. But I, I've gotten the impression that you do not follow this drama at all. I, I do not. And this is longstanding. This is not just Harry and Meghan um, haven't captured my attention. This is I don't follow the royals because I find the whole thing sort of uh, anachronistic, a little bit... Hmm. Uh, wrong it's it's i don't know it's it's Ooh. kardashians to me with crowns it's it's just gawking <laughs> <laughs> i think a lot of people agree with you um and i would like to think that i think the same way but then this stuff starts to bubble up and then i'm very like entranced by this gossip even though i pretend that i don't really care about these people but i think to me what is so i think hypnotizing about some of this is that I, I think that everyone sees a little bit of their own families and how this is playing out. And obviously it's happening on a whole different level with circumstances that are impossible for most people to imagine in terms of the wealth and the power and the privilege. But yes. I think everyone is a little familiar with what 
are some of the dynamics at play here between siblings, between parents and children, between in-laws. Um, so so that's my defense. And the thing is, it's undeniably a good story. Here's the other thing I should say, that nobody really has to defend their guilty pleasures to me. I mean, this is my take. I'm not judging. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, so back to this question from this person that we have imagined mm-hmm. is Prince William about what happens when your your brother, your family member, uh, decides to share something very publicly that you take issue with, that you don't think was supposed to be public. I mean, do you do you continue the conversation publicly? Do you escalate things? Do you kind of put your version of the truth out there? Or do you just let it go? I mean, what, what, what do you do? So there are a lot of things there. The first one that comes to mind when I see all of this and when I hear it is that you have to go to the person. I mean, the, the relationship is between the, the, two, the two family members. And if mm. you want to stop the gusher of private information, you have to go to the source, and the source is the broken relationship. Because if the relationship weren't broken, then none of this would be happening. So, mm. um, and I think that the way to repair anything like that is to own your own part in the breakage. Why did mm-hmm. this break? What did you do personally to contribute to this problem? And you have to go back to that. I think that's the only choice that stands up to any sort of, that will stand up to time. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a really difficult conversation to have because it sounds like you're saying, you know, you have to call up this person and say, look, I I did this thing wrong. Or like of the things that you said about about what I have done to you, like, Actually, I will acknowledge to you that some of this stuff was hurtful or that I shouldn't have done it. Yes. And that's a, that's a difficult conversation to have. Yeah, of course. And if it weren't difficult, they probably would have had it sooner and this wouldn't have happened. So I think what I see a lot with these relationships that fracture to this degree and for this long and this badly is there's usually some hard conversation that didn't happen when it should have happened because people were mm. avoiding it or they were retrenching and defending themselves. And instead of just saying, okay, you're right. Like, I am angry at you. You've done a bunch of things wrong yourself, but I'm not going to get anywhere with that until I own the bad things that I did. And people don't want to do that. That's just so hard. And especially, it gets even harder when somebody responds to your mistake with an even bigger mistake. And I think a lot of people get tempted into saying, well, you know, it's on now. Like <laughs> you, you did mm-hmm. what you did was so much worse that it uh, it absolved me of whatever I did. And the thing is, that's not true. You're still responsible for your part of it, even if it's much smaller. And interesting, yeah. And so, and I think that's one of the things that you do for yourself. Now, it may never the the relationship may be beyond salvaging. It's still better for you to recognize, acknowledge, and apologize for the thing you did wrong. Even, as I said, just for you, just because it's the right thing. Yeah. Well, I I also want to follow up on something you just said. I I mean, it sounds like you are saying that to kind of then in turn, as a hurt person, go out and publish a memoir with all of your beef with this person (laughs) that, you know, has hurt you, that that also is a mistake. I mean, I, I guess... Publishing a memoir is maybe not a thing that everyone does, but I think there are a lot of people who, when they're mad, they post something on Facebook about, like, how wronged they have felt by a member of their family or that they do something that you can't kind of, like, put back into the into the genie bottle. So, yeah, I guess talk more about why you think that's not the right way to go. Well, 
because what are you trying to accomplish? If you have an objection to something that somebody is doing, you handle it with the person. And I think it gets in the in the situation that we're talking about, there's an there's an institutional angle to this and there is a racism angle to this and that starts to justify the public airing. But if you're just talking about interpersonal regular people who have something going on in their family, I think blasting it to the world is vanity. It, it just, mm. it just, why, why, why did you need to tell everybody about this? Mm-hmm. There has to be some reason to bring something public. And that is to, um, and again, you bring it public if the people involved are public and if there's some deception going on that harms the institutions um, involved. But if it's just people, if it's just people within a family, I, 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 I dislike the whole, I'm just going to throw this on social media and let the other person burn. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't get it. And I think the other side of this question, the, the people on the other side, uh, uh, the, the brother and his wife would argue that in this case, there is uh, an instance of an institution doing wrong, committing acts of racism, um, or like affecting the public in a way that's not just about their family, but about other people. And I guess I, I was wondering if you could expand more on that or like how those concerns can come up for for regular people, you know, in a family saying like, look, I think that what you did was not only like hurtful to me, it was racist. And I feel like you need to know that and maybe other people need to know that. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think that that's that's important to work into your calculations on whether to speak out publicly or to handle something privately. I think if if there's wrongdoing that affects other people in particular um, or compromises an institution, I think it's it's important to speak out. And I'm gonna say this very carefully because I also think it is up to the person choosing to speak out whether to take that on. I don't think other people get to say, you feel as if you were harmed by racist behavior. Therefore, you have an obligation to speak out about it. I think the, I think the wronged party is the one who gets to make that calculation. I think it's entirely up to them whether they want to take that on. But I do think that if somebody does choose to take that on, I think that is absolutely defensible. I mean, look at, look at the consequences of bringing it up here. I mean, because when you make an accusation of racism... First of all, it's an important statement to make, but it's also inviting all of these people to push back with even worse racism than you're complaining about in the first place. Mm. But I think everybody who is willing to is doing society a, a solid. <laughs> it's important. Yeah. Okay, so we have a next question. Um, this is from... A woman. (laughs) My husband and I have two young children, and we really want them to have a close relationship with their cousins. But in recent years, my husband and his brother have had a massive falling out, and so our families never really see each other anymore. It also doesn't help that they live in another country. How should I go about explaining to my kids why they haven't been able to see their cousins? And what should I do to make sure that they can have some sort of relationship with them in the future? And before you answer, can you, with your limited knowledge of the royal family, can you guess who this is? Well, I assume this is Megan. Or this is is Megan. The uh, Kate, uh, right? 
It could be Kate, but but this imaginary writer is talking about her two young children rather than her three young children. Okay, so, so yes, that would it be is, Okay, it see what I've absorbed? Takes the expertise. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> um, so yeah, what's, what's your advice about how this mom should keep the cousins close? Or can she? I've gotten a version of this question a lot, and I find it's one of the more difficult ones to answer. And here's mm. why. Um, when you're teaching children about family relationships and just relationships in general, you need to keep your eye on life beyond that relationship. And by that, I mean, if you are cutting off a relative, you have to look down the road and recognize that this child of yours might cut you off when you do something wrong. If you are Mm. not offering them some sort of nuanced understanding of when it's important to work on things and when it's important to protect yourself and and to cut the tie. And that is something that adults don't always navigate well. So trying to explain it to a child in childlike terms, it's almost asking too much. So I think you end up with a blend of, you know, that this is an unfortunate situation and we're not able to see them right now and mm. I know, you know, we we love your cousins and I know they love you. And, you know, we you just you just sort of treat it as an unfortunate casualty of circumstance. <laughs> and mm. and then you carry on and you let them understand through just time and relationships and living that okay, this was this was unfortunate and your cousins did nothing wrong and you can take it from there at like when they become adults. If you don't saddle them with your own biases, they can then seek huh. each other out when they're when they're out in the world. And that's interesting. Because because that, it sounds like you're suggesting that in this scenario where, you know, these kids aren't going to be seeing their cousins that often and that's kind of an unchangeable thing that maybe you don't talk to them that much about the details of why they're not seeing their cousins or the conflict behind the scenes that has played out. And I, I think that's a thing that a lot of people struggle with, right? Like, what are the ethics around, should I tell my kid why I think their aunt, uh, like, did some really bad things that, that I don't agree with and that's why we don't talk? Or should they keep it very much a secret and then... Um, let that just be a mystery for for that kid's whole childhood. I don't think the secret and the mystery equips your kids to to handle things because that's here's here's another part of human nature. The minute you deny people information, they go seek it, and so yeah, exactly. Then you completely exactly. lose control of the narrative. And again, they're going to anyway. And this is this is another thing. Like there's the point of inevitability on all of this, and so you have a very limited time where you get to explain yourself the way you want to, and. Hmm. So it's it's worth thinking about carefully, but I think if you stick to the to the truth and then what you did with the truth, then I, I generally I think you're okay. So the truth is that the brothers aren't getting along, the two families aren't getting along, and that is really unfortunate. And I wish it could be otherwise, but right now because they aren't getting along, we will not be seeing them the way we used to. Mm-hmm. And it's basic fact; it doesn't throw anybody under any buses. Double decker, otherwise, and and so it's <laughs> really all you can do. And then the other thing you do is you complete their lives around them without the cousins there. That's the other thing. Mm. It's like if you if you concentrate on the absence or if you leave the hole, then 
then it becomes this thing that they constantly have to reckon with. And so if you, in, inside the, um, as much of the protective bubble as you can create, if you give them a full life with strong emotional connections to the people in their lives, then this thing won't loom as large. Yeah, yeah. That's very good advice. Very thoughtful. After the break, we hear from a man who is, hypothetically, trying to repair some long-standing beef with his sons about his second wife. We'll be right back. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Okay, so now we have a final question. It's coming from an older gentleman, father of two grown adults. (laughs) So more than two decades ago, I became a widow. When I wanted to get remarried to the new love of my life, or perhaps a long-time love of my life, (laughs) uh, my sons asked me not to. I did anyways, but I recently learned how unhappy one of my sons was with my decision to go forward with this marriage. I love my wife. She has been a rock by my side, and it hurts me that my son doesn't see how important she is to me and to our family. What do I do now? Live with it. You can't lobby Mm. people into changing their minds about how they feel. And Mm -hmm. the more you do, the more entrenched they're going to be. That's sort of almost a childlike response that I wish we all could grow out of at some point. But just just from what I've seen, it's it's one of those things that stays that if you feel wronged by someone over time, you may get past it, you may still have a relationship with the person, but the thing that can send you right back to your adolescent rage is if somebody tries to tell you that you need to let it go hmm. or that, mm-hmm. that it's not as bad as you think it is, or it's just something we respond to really badly, even, even people who are otherwise fairly mature. So I think it's one of those things where the father in this situation has to acknowledge that he read it wrong and it cost one of his children, and it costs their relationship. And it's it goes back to the original answer we were talking about where you just own your part in it and recognize that you do that for yourself, for your own conscience. Say, you know what? I read this one wrong. I called it wrong, and I'm really sorry. Yeah. And because again, you can go on for days about how this was my life to live. I got to make my own choice. I'm not going to decide who's going to be my life partner based on my traumatized kid. You know, you can say all those things and they're all going to be true, but there is also emotional truth. And the emotional truth is this is going to be a sore spot in this kid, this traumatized kid forever. This struck me as honestly so painful. And and just for for context for people who have not sped read the uh, Prince Harry book. He says in the book that that basically he and his brother went to their father, now King Charles, um, 
were like, look, we know that you love Camilla. We are happy for her to be your partner, but like, just please do not marry her. It will cause us so much pain if you marry her. Mm -hmm. And I'm just imagining, I mean, this was a moment a couple of decades ago, but like, what a, I mean, what a painful thing for everyone involved, but like, what a, what a hard thing to, for, for a parent to hear from, from their kid, like, just please don't marry this person. Right. I don't know. Like, do you hear people go through situations like this? Not, not as, and I can't think of one that is directly analogous, but definitely the general idea of, of somebody setting out a condition that is so, just so heavy and complicated and here's the thing. If the sons were writing to me saying they want to set out this condition, I would tell them, no, like, don't do that. Don't set mm. yourselves up for that kind of disappointment. Don't be so in, entwined in your father's decisions. Like, don't mm. don't hinge your emo- emotional health on your dad's choices because that is just a, that's just a losing gambit, no matter who it is. Um, mm. You just can't tie people down like that. Your emotional health is up to you. And the minute you put it in somebody else's hands like that, you're asking for a lifetime of of complications. And so I would have told the no matter how young at the time and how traumatized, if if I had been, you know, given a chance to say this, I would have said, don't do that to yourselves. Like not even don't do that to your dad. Don't do that to yourselves. Because now you have attached a condition over which you have no control and you're deciding how you're going to feel based on that. Carolyn, I, I really, I wish that they hadn't had the chance to talk to you. I feel like, I feel like what all these people need is just like one sit down with you <laughs> or at least to hear directly from you in response to these letters. Because, um, yeah, I, I think that you're, you're speaking to really the hearts of the issues here. Oh, thank you. Well, I, you know, Martina, I have my own stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I wanted to ask because, you know, as I was saying earlier, the reason that I find a lot of this compelling despite my, like, wanting to be that eye-rolly skeptical person is that, uh, you know, some of this feels familiar. Some of this feels like uh, a mirror of what happens in lots of different families. And, and I don't know. I wonder if there's anything that has played out in this drama even though you haven't really been paying attention to it, um, but that reminds you of stuff in your own life or just stuff that feels familiar for one reason or another? What feels so familiar to me is when you're in a situation where you don't feel like you're getting heard and you don't feel like you're being treated with respect and you feel as if you've made your case to the, to the people involved and instead of getting any satisfaction, you kind of get told to sit down. And, mm. and I think that crossroads is very familiar to a lot of people because it's like, okay, do I recognize that I'm never going to be heard and I'm never going to get satisfaction with these people and therefore I should break away and go do my own thing or do I blow everything up? That I think is very familiar, even though the the obviously the specific conditions of this are are out of reach for just about everybody. You know, we don't all yeah. have the means and the platform to to handle it the way it's being handled now. But to have a six part Netflix documentary <laughs> series exactly. about our I lives, I have tried. I have tried to take my grudges to Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, too, it just never gets point. anywhere. So, but, but, but that point though, when you decide, do I just, do I just let this go and try to live my life? Or do I say, this is something I cannot let go. And I am, I, I'm going public with this. I'm, yeah, and I think that's, that's fairly up. common. And again, I think, I think we're getting at why you have people making snarky comments or on social media, because it's like, I can't just carry on. I can't take my utter lack of a satisfying answer for an answer. And I, that's, mm-hmm. why, that's what I think motivates people to keep going at it and to, to say things publicly and to you know, start these, these family-wide brawls. Because it's like, I just want the satisfaction of being heard when it's not always available. It's not always there to be had. Yeah. So for the people who are looking at all of this with a profound sense of cringe <laughs> and just thinking like, thank God it's not me. And also like, I want to make sure that this is not me in the future or that no part of this is my life in the future. What What is your one piece of advice that you give people about how they should conduct their lives and relationships to not end up in anywhere near the situation that this family is in right now? Uh, I would say, say the hard things early. And mm. and if you don't understand boundaries, remedy that as quickly as possible. And I, by that, I mean just what I was talking about with the sons trying to ask the father not to marry. That is a boundary issue. Putting your feelings in somebody else's hands is is a decision that has a lot of painful consequences. And so if you can learn that your feelings need to hinge on your own behavior and your own choices and your own actions, then I think you're at a, on a much healthier path. Um, and this, I mean, things are still going to hurt. People are still going to hurt your feelings. But you have at least a foundation for making decisions toward your own well-being from the beginning. Carolyn, that is a a beautiful thought and a beautiful piece of advice to end on. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Carolyn Hacks is an advice columnist for The Post. That's it for this bonus episode of Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Sabby Robinson and Jordan Ray Smith. It was mixed by Justin Garish and edited by Lucy Perkins. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be off on Monday for the holiday and back on Tuesday with more stories from The Washington Post. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.